So, um, welcome to the eight, first of all. Um, I cannot confirm nor deny what I'm about to share is a fictitious uh, example or a real example. I cannot confirm nor deny this, but um, let's say, theoretically, that Sarah says, hey, you, we never spend enough time together, or you never, you never acknowledge me, you never spend enough time with me. Let's say, theoretically, that Sarah says that to me, my wife. She says, you never spend enough time with me. What if I responded, theoretically, if I responded, it's like, okay, Sarah, you know what? You might be right, but can't you see I'm busy? But tell me, how many minutes do I need to spend with you for you to be content? Imagine if I responded to her saying, we don't spend enough time together. And I respond by saying, fine, there might be some truth to that. Tell me, how many minutes do I need to spend with you? What would she do if I responded that way? <laughs> yeah, she would slap me if I responded that way. What kind of answer is that? She's saying, we need to spend more time. And then I respond saying, give me a numerical value of how many minutes, how many hours per week we need to spend the time in order for you to be content. That's not a relationship. I mean, you would be concerned about me, you'd be concerned about our marriage. If that was my response, I'd have completely missed the whole idea of a relationship. In the same way, we kind of do that with God, right? We want God in our life. We want, you name it. Peace, circumstantial peace, comfort, joy. You, you may, we, we might have our own definitions of some of these fruits of the Holy Spirit or some of these virtues, but we say, I want some God so I can get these in my life, but I don't want too much. So what's the bare minimum of me doing church? What's the bare minimum of me giving, of, you know, doing churchy Christian stuff in order enough so I can get, you know, the good luck charm or I can just get a pat on the back or just enough so I can get in the back door of heaven, right? What's the bare minimum? You know, in the same way, that if, if I told Sarah, how many minutes do I need to spend with you for you to be content, she, I, she would not be happy. In the same way, God does not desire you to check a bunch of boxes, but he desires a relationship. But sometimes, because of our flaw, we think what's the bare minimum I need to do in order to get some good luck charm of God in my life. We'll skip the video for now. So... A common word that you and I hear that might sound churchy, and sometimes we really don't even know what it means, is if something is blessed. Or, in other words, if something is holy. Oh, that's holy. Or, you know, you know that, that, that's very holy, or that's very reverent. But for those who know me, I love looking at the etymology of words. I love looking at the origin of words for us to understand the word because especially in this time in, in, in world history and in, in American culture, people use words like you, like right now, Hamas says they love God, right? There's terrorist groups that say they love God. I also know a bunch of other people that say I love God, but they have two different definitions of, of God. I have a totally different definition of God, but everyone uses terms and uses it in their own way to, in order to satisfy their own theology. So this is why I always like to take a step back. When someone asks me you know, a confrontational question, what do you believe on this? Do you believe this is right or wrong? It's like, well, give me the definition to those terms. So what's the definition of holy? Like, is it, you know, so let's take a step back and let's look at the Latin of the word holy, which is sanctus. This is where we get something is sanctified, right? Sanctus. So, some, so something to be holy, the Latin equivalent is sanctus. And then the Greek equivalent is agios. For something to be holy or someone to be holy, 
it's connected to the Greek word agios. Stick with me here. Agios has a prefix and a suffix. The prefix of the word is a, which is a negation. Like if someone's asymptomatic, that means they have no symptoms. So a is the negation of something. The suffix here is gios or geos, which is where we get the word geology. And geology would be the study of what? Anyone remember fourth grade? Earth, yeah, very good. Geology is the study of earth. So, agios means someone or something is not of the earth. So when we say something or someone is holy, in essence, looking at the etymology of the word, we're saying that it is not of this world. It is not of this world. If you get nothing from the series and nothing from today's talk, I want you to at least embrace the reality that you are divine, that you are holy. The first, series, the first talk of this, of this series we did, we talked about this is not home, that you and I at our essence, at our core, is holy because who made you and me is the definition of holiness. And when he made you and me in the icon of him for us to be in his image and likeness, at our core is holiness. Does our ego, does the passions of our flesh, does our selfishness drift us away from that? 100%. But does that take away from the truth and the reality of who we are beautifully designed to be? No. We have our weakness and we drift away. But that doesn't change the, uh, the ultimate definition of how you and I are beautifully made. I was thinking about this. Um, this happened to me last year. I was taking my daughter Ruth to uh, gymnastics. And... And, you know, it's a 30-minute class. She goes into gymnastics. So what am I thinking? All right, perfect. It's 30 minutes. I have time to let me, let me, let me make a phone call and, and do some stuff. So I go outside, and I make a phone call. Um, and it ends up being a little bit longer than 30 minutes. And so, but, you know, I said by the time they get their shoes on, blah, 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 it's fine. So I go back in. And Ruth is the last one to leave gymnastics. And the teacher's, like, holding her hand. I'm like, oh, God, this is not good. So I've realized she's the last kid leaving gymnastics. And I pick her up, and she's fine. We get in the car, and, you know, how is gymnastics? She's, like, frozen. And then she starts crying. I'll never forget this day until my last breath. She starts crying. I said, what's wrong, Ruthie? Why, why, are, you, why are you crying? I'm here. And she said, I thought you picked, you thought another kid was me, and you picked up another kid. I know, I know. I'm the worst. I know. <laughs> but I'll never forget that day. Because it made me realize she doesn't know who she is to me. And sometimes because of our own weakness, we forget who we belong to. What parent would pick up the wrong kid? You, you, don't, you know your kid more than anyone. Your heavenly father knows you more than you know yourself. And he's able to look at you in the eyes and say, you are mine. And we respond saying, I am yours. This is not home. You and I are holy. Your past, your circumstances, that person, that group, that girl can't define that, cannot change that. At your core, you and I are holy. I hope I don't lose you on this. But if we are holy and we're moving toward the source of holiness, what does that path look like? Like, if we can acknowledge, and at least and not acknowledge, if you can just embrace and entertain for a second the reality that at your core, you are divine, you are beautifully made in the icon of God, the Holy Trinity. And if you, can, you and I acknowledge that sometimes we don't have our life all together. 
our weakness, our lust, you name it, drift us away from that. But we're trying to regain that, that holiness, to connect ourselves with the author of life. But here's my question. This path from where we are now to, to regaining who we are intended to be, is this, sorry, is this a moral modification? Like, are we just changing morality as far as what is good and bad? Or, stick with me, or is this an ontological transformation? Let me pause. I don't, it's okay, stick with me. We'll explain the definitions here. Moral, morality, you get this. This is right or wrong, this is good or bad, right? Other worldviews might have a relative term, but universally we can accept what's moral, what's, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, right? So me pursuing God, is it just defining what's moral, what's good and what's bad, and this is, you know, this is right or this is wrong? Or is there an ontological transformation? The word ontology, by the way, anyone know what the word ontology means? This is philosophical. Ontology? Not oncology. Ontology. <laughs> so ontology is the reality of the essence of what something is. Is the reality or the essence of what something is. So if the essence of who we are is holy, then there is a transformation for us to regain that holiness. It's not just about morality. That's a, that's a low-level thing as far as knowing what's good and bad, right? K parents, you do this with kids, right? Like, this is good, this is bad. But you, you, don't, you hope when they're in their 20s, they're not just stuck on what's good and what's bad, but they're, they're moving past that. So for us to pursue and regain holiness and to abide in holiness, it's not just about morality, but it's about the transformation of knowing at our core that we are holy. This is why... I want us to talk about sanctification, which we're going back to the back slide. This is the, the word, we get the word holiness or sanctos in, in Latin, agios in Greek, sanctification of us, how to be sanctified. And I want to make this extremely tactical, practical, real as far as how we are called to live a sanctified life. Because sometimes we talk about it and it's like high in the sky and we don't know how to grab it. Okay, cool. You know, that's holy. I should be holy or I should be a sanctified, I should live a sanctified life. But what, what is that? Like, how do I grab that? So this is what I want to share with you. Once upon a time, there was and is a being who goes by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The oneness and the Holy Trinity, out of his unconditional sacrificial love, has poured in all of creation his glory. And the epitome of all of his glory is man that he made to be beautifully in his image and his likeness to be the icon of God. But poured into humanity as well is honor and respect and freedom for him to choose as he wishes. Because God is not twisting any of our arms for us to do this or to do that. But we have, because of his honor for us, we get to choose the path that we desire toward him or not toward him. So God gave man the freedom to choose as you wish. Everything is for you to enjoy. Everything is beautiful. Everything is holy. But out of my love for you, I'm telling you, this one tree, this leads to death. But I cannot force you. You have to choose if you want to abide by this tree or not. I am here to give you life. And I'm, I want that intimacy with you. But if you desire to abuse that, if you desire to overpower that, I cannot control you. But there are natural consequences to that. Man decided to abuse their freedom. We decided to abuse our freedom. And there has been now a break between God and man. As St. Basil said in the fourth century, in which we pray till today the liturgical text, God the great, who formed man 
in incorruption. We were incorruptible. We were heavenly. We were spiritual beings in incorruption. And then death entered into the world through the envy of the devil. Then St. Basil says this, which we pray, obviously, in, in the divine liturgy. You have not abandoned us to the end. That it broke God's heart to see the separation, to see the division between him and man. He hated to see that. Like, this is his children, and he hated to see that. He hated to see that man forgot that they are holy. He hated to see that man forgot who they belong to. So it broke his heart. So God was on a mission not to abandon us. As St. Basil says, but you have always visited us through your holy prophets. That God said, ah, I can't say this. Let me send prophets. Let me send judges. Let me send kings. And this is, in essence, the Old Testament of God sending messengers and prophets to try to restore humanity. But then God said, enough is enough. I've tried to send messages, but what's better way for me to bring healing to humanity than me to roll up my sleeve and come down myself in order to restore humanity? This is where... God became man. He put on skin to make love, to make life, to make hope a person, incarnational reality. This is why the worldview of Christianity is so radical. It's not us trying to pursue God up here, that God came down. In the words of the fourth century uh, hero of the faith, St. Athanasius, he said that God became man in order for man to become like God. Not for us to become in the essence of God, but for us to become like God. That God became man in order for man to become like God. And then now there is a restoration. There is a communion between God and man. It doesn't show up here very well, but I, I chose uh, gr uh, green and red, Christmas colors. You know, that's why Christmas is a big deal. You know, God came down. It's cute. It, I just... Okay? So Christmas, that's why Christmas is a big deal, by the way, right? Because God became man. He put, he put on flesh, he put on skin in order to redeem, in order to resurrect humanity. You and I might look at this piece of art, this icon, and say it kind of looks funky. And, and, and if you're not exposed to Coptic iconography, yeah, it definitely looks kind of weird. But icons are intended to look weird, and that's, that's a different sermon for another time. But they're depicting the reality of two heroes of the faith. A terrorist who became a Jesus follower by the name of St. Paul. He used to go by the name Saul. And then, um, and then you have St. Peter, um, who denied Jesus tons of times and was kind of going back and forth in his own faith, but then eventually went all into following Jesus. You see in this icon them holding different, uh, you know, um, what do you call them? Scrolls, uh, to, to reflect the different letters in which they wrote that, is, are, that are in Scripture. But when you look at them, you think they're holy. Yes, at their essence, their ontological reality is that they are holy. But they're weak, and they struggle, just like you and me. And you can see all their stories in the Bible. That's for you to figure out and to, for you to, to, to see. But you see their weakness. You see their struggles. You see their, 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 their brokenness. But they restore themselves by moving toward God's holiness and to regain that holiness. And they write in the most vulnerable way their own struggles and weakness in order to inspire us, to elevate us, and for us to regain our holiness. St. Paul says th these words. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. He's saying we're afflicted. Not, 
Not our type of, not our definition of affliction. Our affliction is my Amazon order came two days late. That's affliction for us, right? No, but when he's saying affliction, he's talking about affliction. He's been imprisoned. He's, he's, he's been in turmoil. He, he's been through a lot. So that's a different definition of affliction. We, we, that's different. He says, in our light affliction. He still labels it as light. Our light affliction. But it's only for a moment. Like he has this broader view of time. He understands that all this comes and goes. He has a higher view of time. But we get stuck. Our anxiety is is about time now, this little thing right here. But no, he's looking at it from a different time. Our light affliction, which is really only for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He looks at pain. He looks at struggles. He looks at affliction. And he says, this is working within me. I hate it. I hate this agony. I hate this pain. I hate this betrayal. I hate this loneliness. But it's working something in me. Is that our view of pain? Is that our view of pain? Or pain comes, well, maybe if I go to church, maybe the pain will go away. Here's someone who's gone through pain upon pain upon pain. He's saying, in the light affliction, which I know, I know, I know this is just temporary. I know I'm looking for the age to come. I know, I know. But I know it's working within me something. This is sanctification. This is our pursuit of holiness. Is that the lens? Is that the optics of how we look at our afflictions, of the pain that you and I go through? It's working within us. St. Peter, again, is he holy? 100%. But did he struggle and of abandoning Jesus? Yeah. Did he struggle of always saying the right Sunday school answers, but his actions didn't match his words? 100%. We can relate to him. St. Peter says these words. His divine power has given us Everything we need for a godly life. So he's talking about God. His divine power has given us everything we need. This statement by itself, by the way, I think many worldviews can, can say this verse up to now as being legit, and, and, and every worldview can agree with this. His divine power has given us everything we need. God has given us everything. Hamas terrorists can say that. You know, a Buddhist, whoever can say that. Someone who's just spiritual, but just, you know, I just be spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. They can say this too, right? They can definitely say this statement. His divine power, I've given everything. Everything from the divine essences of, of reality, of the universe, of God. has given. Right? They use their own fluffy, hippie language. They can say this up to now. So far, so good? Continue. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him, the person of God, God who put on skin, this is how we can know who God is. As he became a reality, a tangible, he became incarnational. The word incarnational means he became meaty, he became real, he became something we're able to grasp, someone we're able to abide in. This is how we know what godliness is. This is how we know we can pursue him. Who has called us by his own glory and goodness? Do you see yourself being called? Or do you go through life and just one day at a time, one week at a time, and just, and just doing life? Do you see yourself being called by God, specifically you? Do you see yourself being called? These are the words of not just some holy, immaculate apostle. This is someone who struggled and had weakness and pain and anxiety and uncertainties. And he's, tell, he's reminding himself and us, that we have been called to his glory. Through these, he has given us this very great and precious promise, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is huge for ancient Christianity. For us to participate in the divine nature, there is synergy, there is union, there is a participation. Just break down the word participation. We use the word participation in the context of, of two people. It takes two to tango, participation, there's, 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 there's union, there's working together. This is the essence of the word participation. But we view it as, what can God give me? How can I, like, I need a little bit of holiness, but not too much, because I don't want to change too much of my life. I want a little bit of this, you know, not, but not too much. But St. Peter is inviting us to participate in his divine nature. Okay, let's make this more tangible. What on earth? How, how do I participate in his divine nature? This is the sacramental life of the church. Through the mysteries of the church, through the sacraments, I am participating. You and I come with the busyness and, and, and craziness of life and even just feeling down. We walk in these doors to come and participate in this mystery of the Eucharist, of the divine liturgy. We all have our own struggles and issues and pain that wait for us when we walk back out these doors. But we come and we come to participate in him, the true physician. And the church reminds us that these are holies for the holy. We come and we say, have mercy upon me. We come with us as patients seeking the remedy to life, which is in him. This is how we participate in the sacramental life. Because what's a common theme between the sacraments of the church? There's always a visible means, but it's God's invisible grace working through the visible means. But if, we're, if we come in knowing that, yeah, I, there are evil desires. Yeah, if I'm honest, there's corruption. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but I don't have my life all together. If we just acknowledge that, this is what leads us to sanctification. This is what leads us to healing. Physic, physical health. What brings healing to a patient? When a patient first acknowledges, yeah, you know, I don't have my life all together. I do have some symptoms. This is what brings healing. This allows the physician to start working. So if we start coming to God, the author of life, the being, the physician of acknowledging, yeah, I don't have my life all together. This, and we start participating in the divine nature. This is where we find healing. St. Paul, ex-terrorist, says these words. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Sometimes we are tempted to make this binary thing, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Christian, I'm, doing, I'm a good person, I'm not a good person, and we make this like binary thing. But it's a struggle. In the words of many of the church fathers, this is spiritual warfare. This is a battle. That, but we are continuously being transformed into the image of him. There is fogginess, there is deception, there's so many things blocking my vision. But I know this is the essence and beauty and fullness of God's glory. I'm, I'm intended to live there. That's home. That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm intended to be one with him. But there's stuff blocking us. The things of this world are blocking us to, to see that. And that journey from where we are to where we're intended to go is sanctification, is the pursuit of holiness. Some people use other theological terms, theosis, and you name it. I'm, we're not going to hear and get into all the nitty-gritty of different terms, but I want us to understand the essence of our pursuit of holiness. If I, I hope the Jewish people in the building are not watching this, but if I take this glass here, if I take this glass, 
it's nice, right? I think it has some Hebrew letters on it and stuff. This is, this is the fullness. This is the ontological reality of that glass. That's the reality and essence of what that glass is supposed to be. And if I go like that, I shatter that glass. Yes, this would be our last Sunday here. But if I did that, if I shatter that glass and it shatters everywhere, how do we know how to put these pieces together? Like if I take, this breaks into 10,000 pieces. Like how do I know where, where to begin to put this? Just like a puzzle, right? I'm, I'm using an analogy of a puzzle. I need to look at the, the reality of the puzzle, the, the, the cover of the puzzle, to know how to put the pieces together. So if we acknowledge that there are parts of our life that are broken, that are moving in different pieces, how do I know to take these pieces and, and move them together? I need to be transformed back into his image. If this is the fullness of life, if he is the fullness of life, if he is the perfection and the embodiment of the divine and humanity in one, in perfection, then this is the image that I'm moving toward. But for us, we're created as this beautiful glass. But because of our ego, because of the passions of our flesh, because of our weakness, because of our sins, it breaks, it's shattered. But what moves us toward holiness is first to acknowledge, yeah, I am kind of in 10,000 broken glass pieces. And for me to acknowledge, I can't lit, I cannot lit social media determine how to put my life back together. And then I come back and look at Jesus to help me put me back together. This is what allows me to be transformed into his image. This is our ontological reality. That you are precious, beautifully made as the icon of your savior. We were taught, this is St. Paul, he's talking to Ephesus here. We were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Like St. Paul is being very vulnerable. Like, yeah, we, we, we are kind of corrupted. We are kind of broken glass. There is a distortion. There is a distortion. Because of our, if I'm honest, it's all about me. That consumeristic, selfish desires, that gets the best of me. We are made to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Some worldviews would just take that top line, made new into the attitude of your mind. It's all in your mind. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. You know, it's mind over matter. Yeah, but again, that's a moral transformation. That's not an ontological transformation. That's about morality. It's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. Yes, it needs to begin with the mind, but it's so much bigger than that. It is mystical. It is sacramental because it involves the divine to transform us. So it transcends logic. It transcends the mind. But it has to begin in the mind. Made new through the attitude of your mind. And put on the new self. So it's not just a little bit, of, I'll dab a little bit into holiness. It's putting on. He's intentionally using of the, that language, using the verb of putting on. Like for me to put on my cassock. This is what this is called, by the way. It's not a dress. It's called a cassock. When I put on a cassock, I'm putting it on. It covers me. So for us to put on holiness, it's not I'm putting on holiness in this aspect of life and that's it. No, I'm putting it on. It covers me. I put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness, not my own relative definition of these terms. You don't have to answer this question out loud, but what happens on Saturday nights? In church. Yeah, there you go. There, there's, a, there's a service called Vespers, and then there's praises as well. 
What's up with all that? Yeah, there's kids choir. Yeah, I'm saying liturgically speaking, in the, in the essence of the services of the church. What's up with all that? Like, why can't we just come on Sunday morning? And some of you guys are probably thinking, yeah, like, I just come the last 10 minutes. What's wrong with that? But the reality is the church, the fullness of the church gives us the journey toward healing to begin on Saturday nights. So what's the spirituality of Saturday? What's the theology behind that? There is a journey that begins, liturgically speaking, on Saturday night of me moving eastward, of me moving toward the physician. And it begins. Like something we take very serious in orthodoxy is that there's always a preparation before the preparation. There's always a preparation before the preparation. And majority of the time, there's always a preparation for the preparation in order to prepare for the preparation. There's always that involved in every aspect of Orthodox because it's serious stuff. If we're trying to find healing, there's always a preparation for the preparation. So what happens on Saturday night is a Vesper service in which we're putting to death the old self. We're reminding ourselves of our own physical death in order for us to, to have a spiritual resurrection. The church puts in front of us praises, which are all about a transfer. We read from Exodus 15. There's a transfer of God's people being transferred over into to new life, crossing. Uh, there's a, a transfer. So there, we're always moving toward resurrection. So our journey, not just on Saturday, but every aspect of our life, we're moving toward healing. And the essence is the core remedy of the church, which is the sacramental life of the church. One of the hymns that we say in the church, which, by the way, this is coming from the Bible, coming from the Orthodox Bible, we say these words. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. The church puts in front of us these words. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Some of you might know the music to this, and some of you don't. It's okay. But maybe we can sing it a few times for those who know it or don't know it, just so you can hear how the church takes these rich words, adds music to it, for it to penetrate into our soul. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. Let's do it a couple more times. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. One more time. Take off the old man and put on the new and superior one. Come closer to the greatness of mercy. Praise him and exalt him above all. That's my no shame plug for Vespers and Saturday night services to help us in our sanctification and our journey toward holiness. Our first core value at San Mark Church is come as you are. But definitely don't leave as you are. Right? Like, you know, some people give me a hard time. Like, you know, why, why do you say come as you are? You know, there should be a change and they need to. Yeah. Yes, of course. It's not, we're not coming to, to sing kumbaya and have coffee together and pat ourselves and give each other hugs and that's it. No. We acknowledge we're coming as all sinful, weak people. Coming to the remedy. Coming to, to find healing. So yes, come as you are, but definitely don't leave as you are. 
There is a journey of holiness. There is sanctification. Just as Jesus met people where they are and held them by the hand and led them to holiness. We are called to do the same. So I hope the state of where we are now should not be the same where we are next week. It should not be the same where we are. Where we are now shouldn't be the same where we were five years ago. There is, is a journey of sanctification, of, of us regaining into being made beautifully into his image. I came across this wonderful quote, and I promise you this is my last thing. There's a church father from the year 230 AD. So his name is St. Cyprian of Carthage. Carthage is in North Africa. So probably his great-great-great-great-great-granddad probably knew Jesus. So his name is St. Cyprian. 230 AD. He says these words. I love this quote. It is a glorious thing. It is a glorious thing to return to paradise triumphant over the devil. You and I will return back to paradise. It is a glorious thing to return to paradise triumphant, triumphant over the devil. How excellent to bring victorious trophies back to the place Adam was driven out of as a sinner. When you have cast down the one who cast him down. Let's take this bit by bit. It's a glorious thing to return to paradise. When we return back home, triumphant over the devil. The devil pulls us, deceives us, strays us away from life, strays us away from truth. But it's a glorious thing to return back home, triumphant over the devil. How excellent to bring victorious trophies back to the place Adam was driven out. Adam was driven out because deception has creeped into humanity. And he lost the full image of holiness. He lost sight that he is not of this earth. But for us to regain that and for us to come back to heaven with trophies, victorious, that trample down Satan, the same one who trampled down Adam, that we're able to, we, we now have the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. You and I have that authority. It's within us. But it requires us to seek holiness. So what's the meaning of life? Is to pursue him and to seek him and to put on holiness. This ain't an easy walk in the park. This is the journey. But at least, at a bare minimum, we can acknowledge we don't have life all together. There are parts of our life that we want, needs, that we know needs to change. But it might require us to first embrace who we belong to. Just I give you that example. Ruth didn't know how precious she is to me. That she thinks that I would take another girl and think that was her. Sometimes we allow the world to take us. And we forget who we belong to. Let's stand together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we belong to you. Sometimes we feel we are so far away from you. Sometimes we feel we have lost all sight of you. Lord, you are there to redeem us, to restore us, to cleanse us. To the point that you came down yourself to lift us up to heaven. The meaning of life always pulls us in different directions of us trying to find life. But Lord, we know that it is found in you. If we have our eyes locked into you, this is what gives us hope, perseverance, and strength to move forward in you. Lord, I ask that you bless everyone here for them to know how holy and precious they are to you. 
and through the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.